has a high price to pay. Some put on a suit, but he ran the other way. His drums drown out the other. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan, and star of the show. This is Coaching Kernan, episode 188 right now. We're climbing up there, and we've got a great guest today, a repeat guest. Um, I'll keep the preamble short, um, but before we get to our guest, I, I want to get to you, Kevin, another couple great articles. Um, love for you to, sh- to talk about those as, as you want, but I want you to brag about your grandson a little bit. You're, you're, you're watching him play a little now. He's made his way onto a, a very, very um, prestigious uh, summer program uh, with friends of our, ours, the, the guys who run Academia Sports. Uh, comes from a history of baseball. You know, our show knows, and, and, uh, and I'll brag on you, tremendous college hitter. I know your daughter led her college in home runs, uh, career home runs, and, and your son was a heck of a player as well. So the grandson, brag on him a little bit. Is he a chip off the old block or what? Oh, he's getting there. There's still work to be done. A ton of work to be done. He's um, he's a little bit. He's um, he's a really good kid, and he's really got. He's he's starting to put the pieces together. And, and again, I think one of the big things is patience. The parents, you know, they want them to be great, um, and they're always going to be okay and good and stuff like that right through. But as the game develops and you get to the big field, it's a different game. And um, you know, Jack is doing a great job, and uh, you know. Just and his his personality is good too. He wants to learn. He's with some good good teachers now. It's good to get away from daddy ball, as we all say. And um, we'll see where it goes. But my, my philosophy has always been: all three of my kids, you know, enjoy the game as much as you can. Keep the uniform on as long as you can. And they all played college, you know, and they all enjoyed it and they loved the game. And it was funny. I ran across an old picture. Somebody sent me. Uh, I'm from Kennewick, New Jersey, and somebody sent me a. Uh, I saw it on the. Um, the um, Facebook page for Kennewick, it was a picture of my of an old fast pitch softball team, and my father was the catcher, and he, he was a heck of a player. Had the big uh, forearms, and that helps, uh, you know, as you know. And so, all that stuff. Like all I can tell parents is enjoy it at any level. Try to get them good instruction. Try to get them to do me- mechanics correctly. And have some fun with the game, and it'll take you as far as you go, and uh, uh, wherever you go with it, enjoy it. And here's what I'm saying, though, to be quite honest: when I watch a game now, nobody catches a fly ball anymore. Very rarely, you I know. Agree. Yeah, because we we're we're developing a generation of people who never played baseball almost at any level, maybe little league, and then they got out of it. But uh, it's a hard game, and that's what we talk about every week: the difficulties of the game. And um, it's uh, and everybody's an expert, and of course all the uh, all the analytic guys are experts, you know. And they might have been a manager for their team at some Ivy League school, uh, but the baseball's hard. Stick with it, and also don't get down mentally. I mean, it's a it's a game. It's going to beat you up a little bit. Um, and as a good friend, Kurt Ickes, Doctor Kurt says, uh, you know, win the next pitch. So that's 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 where we are with Jack right now, trying to get that philosophy of win the next pitch, and go from there. And winning is a big, big thing. I got to decide what I'm writing today for Ball Nine, but my last one was all about winning, and I may stick with it simply because people don't know how to win anymore. And as one scout told me, and then we'll turn it over to our guest. You never sacrifice winning for player development. A part of player development is winning, and that's been lost. They don't. Uh, I was talking to a guy today, uh, yesterday, who I'm not going to mention the minor league team because I don't want to out him, but uh, that team doesn't emphasize winning at all. And it's like most – I'm talking about in the lower levels now, A-ball and things like that. And uh, that's one of the things the Rays do well. i got to compliment the Rays. They win at different levels. They teach their guys how to get a run across, things like that. They may burn through a lot of players – but they, they try to teach the right thing. So winning is a uh, winning is a skill as much as anything else. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Oh, I agree. I think, you know, it's, as you said, it's a byproduct of doing things the right way over and over again. And if you see these, you're, you're getting a chance to watch some of the summer stuff. I go to these things every weekend watching my sons. And any colleges that are there, uh, Scott, they have no idea whether the kids are winning or not. And they don't care. Um, they're watching an individual player. And these kids have become independent contractors out there for the most part. And, That's a great point. One other thing along those lines, you just thought, I just thought of some. Um, I'm at the hotel I'm at, Northern New Jersey, um, 
um, the uh, teams are coming through here now for tournaments and things like that. And um, Bucknell was just here. They played West Point for the Patriot League Championship. And in both games, they lost 20 to something. Oh, my God. Exactly. And this is not just a, you know, a seventh team in the conference playing the best team. This is a team playing for the – they beat Navy the previous week. So Bucknell did. So, so obviously the fifth straight Patriot title for the Army, they know what they're doing. They, they figured out winning in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, they got to win every day there, without a doubt, off the field as well. But, um, yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to the article, too. I hope you stay with that winning thing. I think it's, 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 it's the global pandemic out there that nobody's talking about. So yep. keep hitting it hard. And uh, our, we have 18,100 subscribers now uh, to our listeners. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We've got another great guest for you today. You do that. We can battle the analytics of the podcast world and keep giving you great content. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also follow Kevin on Ball9 and his social mediums as well. Very interactive all day long. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. Just trying to build a better baseball IQ. Before I introduce my guest, just want to remind people, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball because this program has no time for any of the uncomfortable lies that are being told. So with that, I want to introduce our guest with episode 188. Uh, the current special assistant to the GM of the Washington Nationals, two-time skipper of the Kansas City Royals, uh, coach for Kansas City, Oakland, and the Dodgers, front office experience with Boston and Baltimore. One of my favorite stories was skipper for Bo Jackson and the Memphis Chicks. Um, Bo such a special athlete right there. We're going to start our questions with me with a college, college baseball question, so I'll bring this up about our guest, 1966 World Series uh, team and captain. Uh, for the UConn Huskies, we think about UConn for basketball, but they won that NCAA championship or competed for the World Series. NCAA home run champion as well, drafted as a shortstop out of college, spent time in the minors. And uh, with that, I want to introduce special assistant to the Washington Nationals, Bob Schaefer. Bob, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I always look forward to talking to you guys. And I love what you guys said before during the introductions. And uh, you're, not, you're right, it's all about winning. I mean, when I scout, I coach for a long time, manage a little bit. Now, when I scout, when I evaluate a player, I, my thing is, what can you do to help a team win? There's stats, there's skills, there's all that kind of stuff, but can you really help a team win? And that's what it's all about. What are some small things that you look at and you, you put down when, when you're eyeballing that stuff? Well, a lot of times you look at, what you know, when he has a little adversity, how does he react to that? Or when another teammate does something, uh, you know, you see a guy that will show up a teammate, that's not a good teammate. I mean, if you're all like one happy family, so to speak, you all work for each other. You're going to have your bad days, but the other guy's going to pick you up. Then you're going to pick them up. And that's what, what it looks for. You know, that's what it's all about. And um, I kind of look at, you know, that's why I like to be at a game rather than watch on TV. Because you can see off the field, you know, like in the dugout or near the dugout or what he does in between pitches. Is he standing still and flat-footed or is he looking for somebody to hit the ball to him so he can make a great play? So there's certain things you kind of look for, but uh, it's uh, – I don't know. It's hard to describe exactly what you're, what you're looking at, but uh, there's some guys I would love to have my team and there's some guys I don't want on my team. Yeah. You've done it long enough where you know when you see it, right? Yeah, it kind of stands out. But uh, like I said, the whole thing, they can talk about chemistry, which I don't know if that's the right word or not, but, you know, one happy family I think is the best. I mean, some of these teams that win, they win because they work for each other. And if you play the game to win, the stats will take care of itself. If you just play for stats, which are a lot of guys like that, they go for four, they go home at night and, you know, to beat themselves up. But if you go for four and maybe, you know, have a quality at bat where you advance a runner or two with making it out, that's a quality at bat. I never hear about too many people talking about quality at bats, but quality at bats win games. And that's what it's all about for me. How about um, body language? You, you kind of alluded to, to that when you're watching guys away from the skill. I've always thought body language is a, a window to somebody's mental toughness. Um, are those things that stand out to you as well? And, and what do you look for there? Well, body language is like excuses. And people make excuses. Uh, they all say excuses are for losers. So, you know, people can make mistakes behind you if you're a pitcher. You know, pitchers are going to make mistakes. They're going to walk guys when they shouldn't walk guys. But it's all part of the game. But you can't show that body language or that show the, you know your fellow player up. And uh, that just destroys the team morale and everything. And there's a lot to it. I mean, there's, uh, <clears throat> you know, our Unfortunately, there aren't too many team leaders anymore like there used to be because everybody's everybody's buddy. So 
they're kind of afraid to jump on somebody if they don't run the ball out. But, you know, another coach does it, which I coached for 12 years in major leagues, and I was one who would tell the player something. But I wouldn't do it to you know, harass them, but I did to make them better. Now, at the time, they might not like it. My next day, they might say, well, thanks, you're right. But, you know, my job was to make them better, and I can't make them better, but I can tell them how to make themselves better. But that one time you don't run the ball out hard, that's when he bobbles it. Instead of being safe, you're out, and that might mean a difference in the game. Yeah, that's that's winning in a nutshell right there. Is Do you find that players have a hard time nowadays understanding the difference between coaching and criticism? No, I haven't coached in 10 years, but, uh, yeah, I've never had a problem with a player as far as, you know, they all want to learn. They all want to get better. And uh, I never played in the big leagues, but I think I learned how to coach. And I knew just, you know, this timing of a coaching thing is most important. Sometimes you can tell a guy right then and there what he did wrong. Sometimes you got to wait till the next day or later on. But uh, you know, there's a technique in coaching. But every player wants to get better. And I always said that you either get better or you get worse. If you don't work at it, you're going to get worse. If you work at it, you're going to get better. And a coach can kind of shorten that time frame for you to get better if you listen to him and a coach knows what he's talking about. Well, I want to take you back in time. The topic's been winning pre-show and during during the show thus far, and, and I love that. You spent, you spent time in the Cape Cod League, which is one of our storied um, arenas for developing young talent and identifying young talent. You spent uh, you won a championship there with Lou Lamorello as a player, and then you went back as a skipper, uh, I think, four different times and won two championships with the Hyannis Mets. I've got that right. Um, what first with the Cape Cod League? What, what makes the Cape Cod League so special? We're about to embark upon that college baseball, you know, championship time. They're starting their playoffs now, as, as Kevin talked about with Bucknell and Army. Um, what makes the Cape Cod League so special for uh, baseball? Well, it's probably the best amateur league in the country, and uh, you know, it's very close. The, the travel is not very difficult. Maybe hour from Wareham to Orleans or Chatham, maybe not that far, but I mean, it was four of the best years of my life. My best when I played, one, one great year of my life. And then when I coached, it was awesome. I mean, I had kids that always got the top college players. Uh, matter of fact, one of my players called me last week. I had lunch with him, uh, uh, Ronnie Perry from Holy Cross. who was drafted and played with the Celtics and was drafted by the White Sox. Never made it to the big leagues. But, you know, I had success, I think, because I kind of knew how to coach, knew what I was doing. Like when I recruited Ronnie, he was highly recruited, but uh, – I talked to his father, who was a good player and a coach himself, and uh, I said, I'd like to have Ronnie play for me. And uh, I knew he had a lot to do with where he goes or who he plays for. And I have to use D. Rowe, who was an awesome basketball coach and tremendous person, but D. Rowe is a baseball guy also. So I said, D., I need Ronnie Perry to play for me in the Cape. He said, I talked to the father. So anyway, talked to the father. I talked to the father, and I said, first of all, Ronnie's playing shortstop at Holy Cross, but he comes to the Cape to become a professional player. He's going to be a third baseman. He's not going to be a shortstop in professional baseball. I mean, he can play short, but he's going to be better at third. Because, I mean, his bat, he could hit. And his bat's going to take him where he has to go. But he didn't have that quickness, even though he's a great basketball player, to be a shortstop. But he had, you know, the instincts to be a third baseman. And he told me when we had lunch, you know, a couple weeks ago, he said, I remember when my father called me in the office and he said, I want you to play third. What do you think? And he said, well, I was a shortstop. <laughs> and he said, well, you're a third baseman now. So, anyway. I had a lot of ground balls there, and he, you know, it's tougher playing third than playing short. I mean, the ball comes off the bat a whole lot different, so you really have to, you know, work on it. And uh, he worked on it, became a great player, of course, and we won the championship two years in a row. He was a big part of it. The only problem was when we left, when we played in the playoffs, he had to go play basketball somewhere because he was a good basketball player too. But, but we had great players, and I remember when I recruited for the Cape League, I talked to the coaches about the kids' makeup, you know, his attitude his intelligence, because we ask him how good he is, all, every coach can say, my kid's great. But then I talked to the scouts about their ability. So it worked out good, and I was fortunate to be able to recruit uh, some great players that became better. And, again, that's the big thing. At that age level, if you can coach them, they're going to improve. And the attitude and intelligence is what makes them improve. You, you hit on a couple key points that we were discussing before the show, and, and Kevin wrote about in his article as well, about development and winning. Um, what, what was your? What did you see your role as there, as a, as a manager in the Cape with that type of talent? And and it's really it's everybody else's talent, right? You're bringing guys in from all over the country, um, superstars in their own right, to try to collect a, uh, a group of kids together and teach them how to win. What, what did you see your role as? 
Well, the first thing is we got to become, like I said, one happy family. And that's one thing Ronnie said. He said, you know, one thing about it, we all got along very well, and you're the one that kind of coordinated that. So we had fun together. And uh, I think the biggest thing is if they have confidence that they can get better, as the players get better, the team gets better. So I think that, you know, you talk about development, you know, making players better is what it's all about. But you can't develop in a losing attitude. When I first took over, took over the Red Sox minor leagues, Double A team in uh, New Britain was like, you know, 20, 30 games under 500. So when you're playing a, you know, on a team that's that far under 500, as a player, all you want to do is get a hit, get two hits. You know, you're selfish basically because you know, your stats are going to build up and so forth. But if you have a winning team or a team that's in contention with a chance to play in the playoffs, you're going to do what you have to do to keep that team winning. So it's more fun because the pressure is not on you to get a hit. You're pressing on you to, to help the team win. And there's certain ways you can help the team win without getting a hit, whether it's defensively or base running or, like I said, uh, advancing a base runner when you're making out and stuff like that. So I think the big thing is get to be one happy family, have a little camaraderie in the dugout after the games and so forth. So now you're like you're playing for each other, not just for yourself. And for our audience members, I don't know if they know this, but you're you're a Hall, Cape Cod League Hall of Famer, uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct in that. What, what were the what you were in Hyannis when you had your your championships there as a as a skipper? What what were the towns like? What was your town like? What was the what makes those little towns so special with baseball? Well, I don't know. It's just uh, the atmosphere. It's on the beach. Uh, there's good restaurants. There's a few bars here and there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, all the thing is, all the players had to have a job, but they had to work 29 hours a week during the NCAA rules. So, fortunately. In Hyannis, we had a good organization, so they found them pretty good jobs. Like Ronnie Perry and Dennis Long had a basketball camp. Dennis played basketball, UConn, and baseball, and Ronnie, of course, is a basketball player. So, you know, find them a job, but then making sure they go to work and everything else. But they all had fun in their job. They found something to have fun. I said, you know what? You're going to be doing that job all summer, so you might as well have fun, find something you like about it, because otherwise it'll be a long summer. But, I mean, when I was up there, we used to mow lawns at Otis Air Force Base. And... Uh, all of a sudden, lawns burned out, so there's no more lawn to the grass to mow. So they gave us a job with a landscaping company. My buddy and I had to dig up a grave one day. So as soon as we hit that casket, it was it. The, the shovels flew and we flew. Get the hell out of here. But it was like, uh, it, it was I know, just a great summer. I mean, like, like I said, it's the beach. It's the beach towns. Uh, the travel is close. You know, you play a few night games. You know, I think three or four teams had lights. And the other ones we played like 5, 5.30, whatever it was. But. It was just an awesome summer. Does the league still hold the same cachet as it did back then? You know, I really don't know. I wish I could get up there more often. I haven't been there. I was inducted in the Cape Cod Hall of Fame, like you said. Uh, that's the last time I've been there. That was in the middle of wintertime. Matter of fact, they had a hurricane. I'm coming from Florida where they have hurricanes. And went to Cape Cod and had a hurricane up there at that time. But, uh, I, you know, I know that I still, you know, donate a little bit to their, it's called the Harbor Hawks now, the uh, Hyannis team, the Speed Hyannis Mets. Um, I'm sure they still recruit. I think, you know, scouts talk about the Cape Cod League. But, you know, when I was with the Red Sox running the minor leagues, the all four infielders, uh, Mo Vaughn, John Valentin, uh, Nomar, they all played in the Cape Cod League. And I think, uh, you know, top draft choice every year come out of Cape Cod League. So it's still a very highly thought of league and a, a fun league to play in for sure. Yeah, so, so even guys like Mo Vaughn, Nomar, Valentin, they were out there, probably not digging graves like you had to do, but uh, mowing lawns and running yeah. basketball camps. But uh, so you're hitting on a on a point that helps us segue here, and then I'll I'll pass it over to Kevin. So th- these guys were superstars, but they're out in the community giving back. They're giving hours back in terms of work, and they're they're laborers' jobs. You're mowing lawns, you're running camps, um, as you joked about in your your case, dig, digging a grave on that that one occasion. Nowadays, guys are spending less time doing multiple sports. Like, you know, you mentioned those two, two stars down there play basketball as well and more time lifting weights. Um, we talked to us a little about the show, but I want you to expound upon it. How, um, how much, how detrimental has that been to the health, overall health of our athletes? Where on the outside, it looks like, Hey, they're lifting weights. They're getting bigger, stronger. How, how has that hurt our athletes in terms of maybe injuries? Well, you never had the injuries until the week training became involved in baseball. I mean, y'all used to like, you know, roll the weights for your uh, forearms and uh, do some rubber uh, elastic bands like, 
But we never did any kind of uh, heavy lifting. When I played with the Cardinals, you couldn't do more than 10 push-ups at a time. You couldn't swim. They didn't want you to get muscle-bound. All of a sudden, the weight training comes in. They hire these people who make guys stronger. They get stronger, but not, it's not baseball strength. It's like uh, I call it artificial strength. You know, pitchers lose their touch. I mean, someone in baseball is a touch, and it's like a lever. And then all of a sudden, the muscles get bigger on, on their arms, and they overcome the, the, the tendons and ligaments, can't support them, and they blow out. I mean, in the old days, they say old days, maybe 20 years ago, they used to 300 innings, you know, complete games, uh, maybe 170 pitches. I mean, Sid Fernandez threw 155 one night uh, when I managed in Tidewater because he wanted a complete game. And... Uh, well, called in 130 game or 130 pitches, but in 84, 85, it was not a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal, but it wasn't a major deal. Now, with the internet and the videos and stuff like that, I probably would have been fired in about the sixth inning. But uh, it's just, you know, it's a mentality. I mean, the pitchers want to pitch it's their game. They want to pitch nine innings. Now it's like, well, maybe I go five, get the win. Maybe I go six and get the, you know, quality start. And it's a mentality. It's just, a, you know, the way it is now. I mean, I don't think it's better. Some people think it's better. I don't think it's better. I mean, how can a guy get better when he throws one, one, one inning every time out as a reliever? I mean, you know, I remember in spring training, uh, the closers used to throw three innings once or twice, maybe three times during the course of spring training. Now they throw winning. But I just think that, like I said before, injuries is the worst thing that's happened to the game. There's going to be some injuries. But when you hurt yourself, like you pull a muscle, strain your arm, it's because you're not – conditioned properly for baseball and mm-hmm. getting back to injuries. Uh, I remember Greg Maddox, when I, he came to us in LA, I'm sitting next to him on the bench and list comes pitching for the Dodgers. And I said, you think he's going to get hurt? And he says, no, he said, he repeats his delivery. You know, you repeat your delivery. You're going to, you know, use the same muscle, same action, same lever and so forth. Every time your injury factor goes down. And he said that the problem is now is guys don't pitch enough to repeat their delivery. Like I said, a reliever comes in, throws one inning. Starter goes five and five and dive, you know, see you later, next guy. I mean, they're so afraid of getting guys hurt that they do get hurt. And the only way to get better is the pitch is the pitch. Just like anything else. I mean, you want to get a better arm? Throw more. You know, loosen up, get loose, and throw a long toss and strengthen your arm. And uh, I've got one more, Kevin. I'm sorry. I wanted to follow. Mm-hmm. What, Bob, expound, you mentioned pitching and throwing, and I think this is good for our young audience. <laughs> because they're all out there chasing velocity right now. They're, you know, I ask questions to parents I'm friends with, how did your son throw this weekend? And the first thing I get is he topped out at, and then I walk away. The last four days because of that. I've, uh, <laughs> but just explain the difference between pitching and throwing. Well, pitching, there's four things that get a hitter out. There's location, there's movement, there's change of speed, and there's velocity. Okay. If you only had one of them, Velocity's not going to get them out because guys can time a bullet if they had to. But the thing is, the pitchers are guys who change speeds, they locate, and they, they pitch. And you can watch a pitcher. I watch a pitcher. If the ball comes out of his hand like he's playing catch, that's what I want. If all of a sudden they're, they're grunting and groaning and flying open and, you know, muscling the ball up there, just a matter of time before he's out of the game. So, I mean, those are throwers. We call them rock throwers. They just get back and throw as hard as they can. And they're going to eventually put a ball right down the middle, and the guy's going to whack it after 3-0, and 3-1, 2-2, and that type of thing. So, I mean, there's pitchers. I mean, Greg Maddox is a pitcher, okay? There's, there's a lot of guys still left that are pitchers. But there's some pit, uh, throwers who go out there. And, you know, the biggest problem in baseball to me, a lot of these general managers are so enthralled with velocity. So they're going to get a guy that throws 100 miles an hour. Well, two years later, where is that guy? I mean, some are still around, but most of them are gone, either hurt, or lose their command, or lose their jobs, and so forth. But, you know, it's it's the art of pitching that's been lost. There's still a few, you know, there's still quite a few, but the, the art of pitching is something that, like I said, changes speeds, location, movement, and new velocity. But if it's all about velocity, unless you throw 105 or something like that, you're in trouble. No, I like that. Kevin, I'll pass on to you. Yeah, great job, Dave. And uh, actually, I want with, to, with the velocity point, uh, Bob Schaefer, I wanted to say, um, I, here's what I've been seeing, and tell me, tell me if I'm right or wrong here. I credit Aaron Judge for, all, or you know, everything he does is phenomenal. He's a great teammate. Um, I've been on his bandwagon since I saw him on the backfield. So I was the first writer to get on his bandwagon, and um, 
here's what I'm seeing though. He's hitting home runs this year. Everything is pretty much middle, middle and good for him. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen so many bad located pitchers as a, uh, to to a great hitter is this guy. You think you'd be even more in your game. And last night against Baltimore, his same thing, you know, a, a hanging slider or whatever. Um, so is this because is this because these pitchers are just heaving the ball and not working on location? Why why are so many relievers and even starters when they get a little tired, why are they leaving so many pitches over the middle of the plate? I don't think I've ever seen as many pitches over the middle of the plate as I have this year. Well, first of all, every hitter has a weakness. And uh, Judge, I mean, Judge is a hell of a hitter and everything else, but he hits mistakes. And I think what yes. happens, a pitcher gets a little tired, they try to manufacture velocity, they think they can throw it by him, and they probably could if they threw it in the right spot, but they try to manufacture velocity, and they lose their command. So all of a sudden, Judge, like last night, was 0-2 or something like that? 0-2, right. Yeah, and a guy tried to force one, they, I call it force, he tried to force a split by him or something, and it, it hung. Now, if he just let it go... Instead of trying to throw it, you know, 92, so maybe 88, he probably would have broke more and he probably would have got him out. But the pitchers, I can't say there's, they're dumb, but they're not real smart, put it that way. <laughs> I mean, they just, they don't I know. I've my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like a hitter, okay? A hitter has to know what kind of hitter he is. You got guys hit enough home runs to be dangerous. Next thing you know, you go up there, I'm going to hit a home run. Well, next thing you know, you're striking out, walking back to the dugout. I mean, home runs happen by accident by making hard, hard, solid contact, just like pitchers. I mean, you got to get somebody out, change the speeds and location. And movement is a plus, and velocity is. I mean, no doubt, a pitcher with velocity, high velocity, has more chance of making a mistake than getting away with it. But again, when you try to manufacture that velocity, you lose the touch, you lose the location, and and you're not a pitcher, you're a thrower. Yeah, that's a good terminology, manufacturing a velocity instead of just letting it come with the loose muscles and all that. And it all comes back to what you were saying earlier. The other thing I wanted to – I'll stick with the Yankees for a second because they're on a hot streak. Um, they've won five in a row, some good wins, um, comeback wins and whatever. They're undefeated since they DFA'd Aaron Hicks. Um, I, I, I've been calling for that for a couple of years because I – for all his talent, Hicks was not a. Um, in my book, he was. He, he he's more of a golfer than a baseball player. That's. I'm just going to leave it at there. And um, you're right. Yeah. Uh, what do you see when you can see a team coming together? And I think the Volpe connection with Judge, I think, is is really good for the Yankees because they have a, a mentor for Volpe who seems to be a winning player as well. Just just your thoughts on. Um, with, with Volpe or just the I whole idea of that winning out of yeah. I saw Volpe in Tampa a couple of years ago, and I could tell he was a baseball player. I mean, he did things like a baseball player is supposed to do. He hit the ball the other way. He played on a bunt. He played good defense. He was a good base runner. He could steal a base. He's a baseball player. He worked his way up. Next year he went to double A. I think he struggled early, but he figured it out. But him and him and uh, Judge, like big brother, little brother, and that's, you know, like when I was in Kansas City, you know, Tommy Gordon was a pitcher. Bo Jackson was the big brother. Tommy was the little brother. And they fought like any other brothers. But same token, you know, Tommy knew he had somebody had his back. And it made him a better pitcher. And, and Bo was a mentor. And Bo wasn't an experienced baseball player. He just a hell of an athlete who became a great baseball player. But he was a good person. And that's what it's all about. I mean, the camaraderie is the most important thing for a winning team. And you got other people that kind of suck the energy out of a team. It's all about them. They're very selfish. You know, I bring up a guy that you know, one of the best talents in baseball, Bryce Harper. When he played with us in uh, Washington, I think he was a little bit of a selfish player. But you know what happened? He became a lot more mature. I mean, he, he had a lot of success early in the year, no doubt about it, one of the best talents in the game. And he was a very effective player for us. Now he goes to uh, Philadelphia. And Philadelphia fans in Philadelphia are baseball fans. Not that the fans of Washington are, but there's certain towns like New York, Philadelphia, Boston. You know, they know if you're if you're trying or not. And I'm not saying Bryce didn't try, but sometimes Bryce would do stuff that wasn't Bryce Harper. But in Philadelphia, like I talked to Larry Bo about it. I said, you know, Bo, Philadelphia's made him a better better player because he knows if he dogs a little bit, they're gonna be on his butt. And uh, Bo said, Yeah, you're right. But, I mean, Bryce now is, you know, I mean, he's he's matured into a, a great player. He was a good player, but now he's a great player, I think. 
But see, yeah, he's a great team player. That's a, that's he, what it is. Yeah, I mean, he's a team player now. Before, I think he was so in trouble. I mean, he always got big publicity, which he deserved. But I think he thought more about the publicity than maybe about being a team player. Not that he wasn't. I mean, I'm not knocking him, but he he was a great player for us. But I think he's better now because he plays the whole game hard, the whole the whole nine innings. Yeah, and the um, I th- I think too, and it's harder for these players coming in sometimes. That's why I really respect when they do it right, like Harper does it right now, and uh, and Judge does it right because they're in a generation now where it's all about me. You know, there's the selfie generation. It's all about me on every level, and the uh, the um, you know showcase generation of baseball players. It's all about me on every level. All you gotta do is. Is, is follow Jeff Fry, our friend Jeff Fry, and you see some things that are just crazy with home runs and, you know, uh, the celebrations. And uh, and I got to get on my high horse here, too. Enough with the uh, enough with the celebrations. It, 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 it's okay. Uh, but, you know, if, if a team's losing by a lot and you hit a home run, do we really need to stick a hat on somebody or a fishing vest or whatever, you know? Um, I love the way Judge does it. He hits a home run, he comes in, he gets his high fives. When he hits a special home run like he did against the, the Blue Jays and broke the Maple Leaf, that was a very emotional dugout scene. And that's that's why we need to do do it. So I think uh, these are all the things like you when you talk about looking at a team player, these are the things you see that make a difference. And I had to laugh when you said you like to be at a game live. Um, because me too, when I, you know, all my years covering baseball and whenever I was watching the Mets, for example, I would always scoot way to the left in the press box, not my normal seat that was assigned to me because I would like to look in the dugout and see things. So tell us some of the things you see when you, you, you peer into dugouts doing games or see, uh, some of the attitude things that you see. Well, getting back to what you said, you know, it's all about respect. Me respect the game, respect the teammates, respect the opposition, respect the uniform. The way some of these guys wear the uniform, and you know that's that's not respect. Okay, like that I saw a guy eating watermelon in the dugout. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's what the clubhouse is for. But a guy who's actually on TV eating a watermelon, I'm saying, what kind of respect is that? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> anyway, it's to me you gotta have respect. I mean, some of these young guys come up. When I was coaching, if a young guy came up, he sat in the corner. Didn't say anything. He says, Shape, what do I do? I said, see number five? I said, Kansas City, George Brett. Do what he does, okay? He runs the ball out every time. No matter how ticked off he is, he get jammed, hit a ground ball to second base. He ran the ball out hard every time. George used to come out for extra BP, just to shag in the outfield maybe talk to somebody. He didn't want to take extra BP, but he loved the game. That's why he was so good. He loved the game. And it's just like uh, he respected the game. I mean, he would never show up, a teammate, never show up, the opposition, and to me, when you celebrate and do some of those celebrations, if you win the game, fine. But if you're like you said, if you're down ten runs, obviously in a home run, big deal. Or if you're up ten runs, big deal. So I don't know. I'm I'm old school. I guess I'm on the 18th hole putting, but it's like it just gets tougher and tougher to watch some of the stuff that you watch. But there's no doubt the game's a lot better this year than it was last year because they put that clock in, which is tremendous. There's not a lot of dead time. The game moves along. It's uh, you know it's a better game too. I think the players like it better. It took a while, but I think they play better. I've seen more ground ball double plays without the shift because there's someone that can get to second base, and now it's a little skill to make that double play again. Whereas the last few years, anybody could make play second because you're not really going to turn double play. So exactly, exactly. I mean, you you saw guys like Mistakas playing second base, and right, um, right. Um, and 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 the other thing I think you're seeing now too. And this is the irony, of course. They, they, you could have sped up the game on your own. <laughs> I mean, you didn't need a thirty-second clock rule to do it, or twenty-second and fifteen seconds. Um, you could have been a pitcher who worked fast, as long as you, you know, try to keep the hitter in the box and things like that. Same thing as a hitter. You could have done this, but it almost seems like this generation needs a rules and regulations to get it done instead of creative thinking to do it on your own. Maybe I'm well, being a little. I was a shortstop in the minor leagues. I mean, we had a guy who works. So I run out to him. I was like, you're putting us to sleep. You start moving, you know, pick it up. And, but, you know, I did that. You'd never see guys doing that anymore. Other guys never do. see that. You don't right. see guys doing that. I mean, they've had a pitch clock in, you know, in effect for the last six, seven years, but they never, nobody ever enforced it. So, I mean, but now it's a lot better game. And the players, I know some, you know, rebelled against it at first, but I think you're going to find out they like it a whole lot more because, you know, there's not a de- you know eliminate a lot of dead time, and it's a great game now. 
what, what, and your organization, where do, where, where do you see, you know, you guys win the World Series and then you had to re, kind of retool. Um, where, where do you see it going now? What, what, what are some of the things to look for that's kind of got you um, hopeful for the future? Well, I think that, you know, we had unloaded a lot of players. I mean, that happens that, you know, you can't recycle these guys and pay all kinds of money for them. So you have to, like, make the best of trades. But I think Rizzo made some great trades. Rizzo's a baseball guy. But we have some, uh, you know, solid guys coming along. I mean, we're, now we're not – you talk about winning, you know, you got to learn how to win. We haven't really learned how to win yet, but we're getting there. Because we have some guys that are kind of inconsistent. But when they're good, they're really good. Like, we got a shortstop. Um, that's uh, Abrams. I mean, he's really good. He's got the same kind of tools that Trey Turner has. He can run, he can play shortstop, but he's going to get better. He's going to make mistakes because he's still like, you know, 21, 22 years old. All right, catcher, uh, yep. um, Ruiz, you sign him off to your company, but he's going to be a star. He already is a pretty good player. I mean, we got, we got the, the pieces in place other than a few spots here and there, but and they're, they're talented. So, I mean, as they get better, the team's going to get better. And, you know, our pitching is still it's getting better, but you have a couple guys in top of rotation or younger guys, you know, Mackenzie Gore and Josh Tusaya Gray. You know, they're going to be one and two guys eventually. Right now they're probably three and four guys, but they're pretty good three and fours. But we're like another year or two away from really contending, and we had a good streak for a while. And we, we went down five games some in a row and lost that streak. But it's just, you know, they're fun to watch. They play hard. They run the bases hard. You're looking for the extra base all the time, and, you can see that the improvement is going to be there. So he kind of reloaded. But I think, you know, Riz made some great trades with his, you know, people in the front office and scouts. And they got quality players in return, even though, you know, we had to give up quality players to get them. But at least we got quality players in return. But they're three, maybe two, three, four years behind the guys we traded. Yeah. And the shortstop Abrams, I was watching the other day, just to your point, he, uh, there was a double play ball, hit the second. And, he forgot the outs. So he gets the ball at second base and just kind of starts off the field. And yeah. you, then you could see this is exactly what you're talking about. Cause later, you know, obviously it's an embarrassing moment. It's a learning moment. Unfortunately it happens in a real game. Uh, but that focus to keep that focus going and later in the game, he hits a home run his next at bat. So that yeah. told me that he realized, you know, I got, I got, I got I to keep it together. And I, I think this sounds really silly, but, I think one of the most important things you can te- teach your players is to count to three and just to learn the outs. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing that a lot now. And, and even the manager of the Blue Jays went out the other day. How about this? Yeah, yeah he, second time. <laughs> second time in an inning and nobody realized it. He's having a long conversation with Manoa. Uh, uh, you know, and so that tells me, again, this is me just being me. That tells me these guys are all worrying about the wrong things instead of basic. They got too much clutter in their head. Everything from managers to coaches to players. I mean, it's a it's a basic rule. And nobody, you know, you gotta you gotta you almost gotta tackle him before he crosses that line. If you're yeah. you're on the bench, and it should never happen. The mental part of the game. How 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 do you teach that to get these guys on the right page? Uh, because I think the a lot of coaches now and a lot of. Uh, and certainly the, the people, the analytic people in charge, they're more worried about uh, uh, other things instead of mechanical things and just thinking the game. What, what's the, how do you unlock that package of teaching the game the right way? Well, there's no doubt it's a tough game to play. It's not tough to count to three, but, you know, there's a lot of distractions and sometimes they're loser uh, concentration. And to me, concentration is the most important thing for a baseball player to have. If a hitter goes up there and swings a breaking ball in the dirt on the first strike, He's not concentrating. I mean, good hitters won't waste a strike. I mean, I always said you're better off taking a pitch as a low and outside pitch for a strike. You're better off being 0-1 than 0-1. But a lot of guys, they lack that concentration. They get into panic mode, and they they go up there and they start swinging instead of, you know, thinking about hitting. So uh, it's tough. I mean, That's like well I said, said. Well said. Yeah, yeah. Abram is not the only guy to forgot me out, sir. <laughs> a lot of guys do that. Oh, but no. Again, it's it's happens. Right. It's like Louis I, Garcia. Uh, you know, going back to my high school days, and this is kind of funny, but, you know, I'm sure I did it. And uh, our coach was, uh, he was an old school guy, and uh, he, he used to make us keep three po- uh, rocks in our left pocket. And then <laughs> yeah. when you get an out, you put it in your right pocket, you know. Yeah. And then uh, you eventually have some help. So if you forget the outs because you're playing high school, maybe without a scoreboard or whatever. So concentration is the key. 
and uh, developing that concentration is something that's got to be uh, that's got to be more, I think, more forceful in in uh, coaching now. Well, when I coached, I used to tell the infields, everybody time that makes an out, go one out. Tell the other guys one out, and then there's two outs. So you're reminding them, but you're reminding yourself also. But if you don't do that, even outfielders, they should look at each other and say, one out, there's two outs, or, you know, man and third. You just remind them of the situation. You know, it's about baseball defense is anticipate what you're going to do. But if you don't have a concentration, all of a sudden it hit to you, and I say, oh, now what the hell do they do with the ball now? But you have to know what you're going to do. The ball sit to your left, to your right, at you. You know, where the base runners are, the outs, the score. You have to anticipate what you're going to do before you do it. And that's, you know, again, that's a team situation. That's where, you know, a lot of times the catchers come out and say, you know, first and third, you know, whatever. But how many outs there are? And uh, just keep reminding yourself as well as you're reminding you know, the rest of your players. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great small point. And that's what we try to do here is, like Dave always says, build a better baseball player. It sounds simple, but if you just remind your teammates how many outs are, you know that, you know, there is that situation. And I think another thing, too, and I'm seeing a little bit more of these days, there's so much, like I said, there's so much information, iPad baseball, I call it. Um, sometimes you, you might, and it's just human nature, you may find yourself getting uh, sidetracked, thinking about your last at bat, and you're in this field, and all of a sudden, you just have a, a brain lock. So, so. It all comes back to that concentration and being a good teammate. I, I think if you think about yourself being a good teammate uh, first, that makes you a better ball player. Well, another thing is tension gets set in the game. I mean, people got to eliminate the tension. If you're a hitter, you got to relax. And like I said, as a pitcher, if you see a pitcher, his wrist is nice and loose. And even a hitter, they're nice and relaxed. I mean, George Brett used to say, just let the bat be real loose in your hands. Let it almost slip out of your hands. But once you start squeezing, tension gets set in. The intention goes to your eyes before it goes anywhere else. I mean, I studied visual training. The intention goes to your eyes, so your eyes don't focus properly. They don't refocus when the ball's in the air. And it's like a dynamic visual acuity, you call it, where you see the ball in the air. It's not so much reading an eye chart, but your visual skills are diminished when you have tension in your body. And, I mean, the best players, you wouldn't know what, the, you know, if there's anybody on base or not, but a lot of times you see great in little leaguers, you know, they'll swing and miss the ball by, you know, three feet. Because it's so tense, they never even see the ball. They just start swinging. And even some big leaguers, they went by three feet. But you can see the tension sets in. And some guys want to be up there, and some guys say, oh, hell, hope that guy makes an out so I have to come up with the bases loaded. I mean, you can see it, and uh, it happens. But That's a great again, point about the tension in the eyes. I never thought about that. It goes yeah. right to the eyes first. That's interesting. Right. And, and, uh, again, and it's you can see, see that. Huh? Yeah, I mean. The background on that. Tell us once again how how did you find you know discover that? Well, I worked for a company actually. Don Manley, Donnie and I have been friends since he played for me in 1980. But uh, there's a company called AccuVision, and vision training is probably the most important thing a player can do, and it's not been it's not done because there's no immediate feedback. You know, you can lift weights all of a sudden you feel stronger, but vision training and you can improve your eyesight with that kind of vision training. But the best hitters have you know eyesight. You can talk about swing all you want, but if they don't track the ball, they don't time the ball, doesn't matter what kind of swing they have. So vision training, you can improve your visual skills by doing certain exercises and uh, improving your you know, like depth perception and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't come overnight, but you know, Bob Boone did a lot of vision training, and he ended up playing like he was like 42 years old or something. And he yeah. could be slotted out to that. So, I mean, the first thing to go is your eyes. I mean, you know, as a regular person, you start off with glasses. But you look at some of these older players, I mean, they don't, they can't time the ball like they did before because their eyes don't allow them to do it. And that's a, that's a skill that, to me, every organization get, should get heavily involved in. I think some are, but I don't know how many are. But, I mean, that's something that I, know, I tried to you know, get involved in when I was with, with the uh, Red Sox. But we had a doctor from actually UConn. Uh, he came down and tested everybody. And it wasn't like reading our chart. It was like, you know, tracking balls and, you know, seeing balls. I mean, uh Carlos Beltran used to have a machine that shot balls out like 150 miles an hour or something. And he would, you know, hit in a cage like, a, you know, tennis balls. And that was his visual skill training. And he would, if I remember, I, I remember seeing that, Bob, and he would, uh, he would, he would color, make different colors on, on the tennis balls, like spots on them. Right. So uh, one would be red, would have a red spot or a green spot. And, and so not only would he have to try to, you know, Obviously, follow the pitch, but he would have to identify the color that that ball was shooting right. out. 
Well, that was concentration right there and in skills. I mean, Ted Williams was probably the best hitter. I mean, I know we can say the best anymore, but I mean, he probably had the best eyesight. Yes. But when he was managing in tech in uh, Washington, I guess somebody said to him, he kept saying, I could see the ball hit the bat, see the bat hit the ball. So they, you know, people said, oh, it's impossible. He said, I can do it. So anyway, he was an managing it. They threw batting practice to him. They put pine tar on the, on the barrel of his bat. Uh-huh. When he hit the ball, he said, I hit the laces, or I hit the leather. And sure enough, they look at the ball, and he was right. I mean, how many people do you think can do that? But here's a guy that hit against a shift before the shift was a shift, and he could still get base hits. So, I mean, you know, it's definitely visual skills are what makes a guy better. And good visual skills increases your your uh, concentration, too. So That's what made him a great pilot, too, don't forget. you know. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he was, he was, you know, I mean, he had a good swing, but you know what? He didn't have the best swing, probably, but. You know, when you see a guy take an awkward swing, it's because of his timing. And uh, Barry Bonds had to have great visual skills. I mean, Don Mattingly had, we had, yeah. we had this machine called AccuVision, and, you know, it was like the lights went on. You had to, like, look straight ahead, but you hit the lights, you know, peripheral, uh, peripheral vision. And the best hitters, like I had in Memphis, I managed Memphis. And I, I, Jim Eisreich was on our team. He scored the best on that, that uh, AccuVision. And he was the best hitter. So, I mean, he was a great hitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great athlete, great hitter. I think he's so one of the more underrated players. Yeah. And the, uh, no, I think Eisenreich was one of the more underrated players. And, um, you know, cause, that about cause the talent that he had. And lastly, before I throw it back, because I find this fascinating with the, uh, with the, um, the, the vision and something that every player can work on. Is there anything that you can think of simple that uh, maybe is a, a simple drill someone could do to kind of work on that, that part of their game? So if you hold your thumb up and you close your eye, close one eye, and then you line up, uh, you know, say a baseball down, or even in your room, your TV, okay? Okay. And then you, like, open your eye, and that's, that's your dominant eye. The dominant eye, they won't move. If you close your left eye and then you, uh, you line up the TV and it doesn't move, that's your dominant eye. Your right eye is your dominant eye. But what you can do is, like, uh, put your thumb up again, and focus on your thumb and focus on TV and go back and forth, which you call like refocus, so to speak. And your eye muscles work, and it's just a simple test, but it will improve your vision over time. It ain't going to happen overnight, but over time. But just doing something where you refocus, look up close, look distance, and back and forth, it gives your eyes, your muscles some work, and uh, eventually it'll get better. But even taking batting practice, I mean, I always tell guys, you know, did you see the ball hit the bat? No. Well, if you take batting practice, I mean, batting practice is about 70, 80 miles an hour, and game time is like 90 miles an hour. It has no relation at all. But it's vision training. If you take batting practice properly, it's vision training. That's when guys, you know, just pull everything, trade everything out of the ballpark. They're not doing anything. But to hit the ball the other way, to see the ball hit the bat, and watch the ball all the way, that's what you call vision training. And the more you do that, the better your eyes are going to get. You can improve your eyes. You can't make a guy that's got 2050 vision in 2020, but you can improve it. And again, it's all about uh, something in motion, dynamic visual acuity, they call it. That's, that's fascinating. And of course, I, I I was around a guy for 10 years who did that every day in batting practice and Tony Gwynn. Yeah. I mean, How do you make out? <laughs> <laughs> Eight batting titles and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Could, could, could hit him a long way, too, if he had to. So it was great. Well, that's what we love about our show. We always find some interesting things to talk about. And, uh, you know, I'll turn it back to, to Dave to wrap it up. But, uh, Bob, great stuff as always. Uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate having me. Yeah, it was phenomenal. In case the audience is wondering, my right eye is my dominant eye. I had my thumb up while you were describing that. <laughs> and uh, I was a switch switch batter. And my uh, I always felt like I was a better hitter lefty than I was righty. Um, yeah. So that, that may explain a little bit of it. But I like the point you made about concentration. I heard Bob Knight speak a bunch of times, had a chance to go to his camps and spend as much time as I could watching him teach. And he always said that the most important skill that a player can have, regardless of sport, is concentration. Um, exactly. So I'm like he hit on that and talked a lot about culture and family. And those are old school values that I think we need to bring back uh, to our, not just our game, but to our society today. So I appreciate you hitting on those and Kevin bringing a lot of that out in you today. So um, g- great show for our audience. I had one last question, Kevin. I'd like for you to ask your questions and too. I don't think Bob got it the first time around. I think he was early enough in the show, if you don't mind. Um, the, the question you asked our guests at the end, uh, but Bob, our, um, 
today's today's young kids, uh, you know, we're dealing grassroots all the way up to, to MLB guys, but our society is very fragile today. I think um, has a hard time dealing with mistakes. Um, t- talk about the importance of baseball players, especially, but you can venture off into the world a little bit in terms of not just handling mistakes, but turning mistakes into principles so you can become a you know a better player. Well, you know, you can't learn until you make a mistake, really. Somebody can tell you what you shouldn't do, but until you make a mistake, just like talking about our shortstop, you know, he won't he won't forget the outs anymore, but it took him a while to learn that. But I think the most important thing for a young person, you know, you can't put pressure on a kid to play. The kid's going to have to want to love to play. And if you have to tell him, let's go, we got to take batting practice now, it's not going to work because he didn't love it. I mean, the guys who are in the big leagues, they got great talent, but 95% of them just love to play. You know, they love to practice. They love to go out and do the conditioning part of it. Even I think some of the conditioning they do is not right, but but they're, they're dedicated to their profession. And I used to tell kids when I ran a minor league with the Red Sox, I said, you know, this is a 12-month uh, job. This isn't like seven, eight months. It's 12 months. So in the offseason, you got to do something to make yourself better. you got to swing the bat. you got to hit. you got to throw. you got to, you know, keep yourself going. So I think, you know, I think sometimes what I hear, you know, some of these camps, I had a guy talk to the other day that we worked together with the Red Sox. He said, you got these people telling these kids that you pay me X amount of dollars and, you know, you'll be the next, uh, tell me be the next Roger Clemens. I mean, here's a kid like 12, 15 years old. I mean, you, you got to be, you know, got to be leery of some of these people just selling you something. I mean, the thing is, again, it gets back to anything else. You as a player are your best coach. A coach can tell you how to do it, what to do it, but you got to make yourself a better player. But you got to know. I mean, every time on the field, if you're ever at bat, you take a bad swing at the pitch, you got to make the adjustment yourself. You can't look over to the coach. You got to be your own coach, just like pitching. You got to make the adjustment. You start throwing four pitches high and outside to a hitter, you got to make an adjustment with your mechanics and so forth to make, make your own adjustment. So I think the thing is, if you have a kid that loves to play, he's going to get better. With a little, you know, practice and everything else. I mean, not everybody has top skills, but you can make the best out of what skills you have. I mean, tools are tools, but skills are refining the tools. I mean, skills refine the tools. You can you can be able to run hard, but a skill is being a good base runner. So to tell a young kid, like I've had a lot of kids, you know, grandkids come down where I'm living. I said, what do you do? Oh, I play. So I worked one kid. As you go home every day, you swing the bat 100 times. You know, high outside, low inside, middle, middle, you know, all, all quadrants of the strike zone. And swing it 100 times every day. You don't have to hit a ball, just swing 100 times. And, you know, he came back about two months later. He said, yeah, I'm hitting good now. He said, well, at least you got to swing. you got to perfect your swing before you can become a good hitter. But there's a lot of things. But, again, if he didn't like to do it, he would say, yeah, it'll be good for a couple of days and see you later. I'm not doing it anymore. So you got to pay the price. Uh, and, again, you got to realize baseball is a tough game. No matter what level you're at, it's a tough game to play. There's a lot of pressure involved. There's a lot of situations involved. And the more you play, and that's one thing about, I'm not familiar with all these, uh, you know, people, you know, the programs they have now. But again, you, you can't be an independent contract. You can't just be a hitter. You can't just be a pitcher. You got to be a, a complete baseball player. Like I said about Volpe, he's a baseball player. And there's a lot of them in baseball that overachieve because they're baseball players. They do little things, help a team win. They're smart. They get signs all the way down to, you know, putting the ball in play when you have to put it in play. I like it. That's a perfect answer. Kevin, I'll turn it back to you for our, for our final question. Yeah, this is a pretty simple question, but it could be evolved. Uh, and take it any way you want with the answer, and, and you've addressed it in a lot of different ways uh, throughout this conversation. But to you, Bob Schaefer, a guy who's been in the game your whole life on so many different levels, what does it mean to be a ball player, you know, in, in your mind, what does it mean to be a ball player? Well, some people play baseball and some people are baseball players. There's a difference, I think. You know what I mean? But I think you got to take pride in the fact that I want to be the best. I want to do what I can do to help a team win. Like I said, the most important thing is what can you do to help a team win? I mean, you might not be a great hitter, but, you know, you can put the ball and play with two outs and man on, I mean, one out and man on third base. I mean, how many times in a major league game you see guys strike out with a man in scoring position on third base less than two outs? I mean, to me, that's choke up, get closer to the plate, and just put the ball in play, take your chances. You hit a ground ball at somebody, you might, you know, contact play might be on or whatever, but, you know, strike out never scored a runner from third. But just little things like that, you put the ball in play, advanced runners, uh, sometimes you get a hit out of it. 
And the baseball gods take care of you. I mean, especially you guys hit the ball right side, and on second, nobody out. Be surprised how many times they get a base hit out of it. So just do what you have to do to help a team win. And it's a lot more fun when you go up there and say, you know, I can get a hit right here, or I can hit the ball on the ground and score the run, rather than say I got to get a hit because I'm 0 for 3. And when you put pressure on yourself because you're 0 for 3, the tension sets in, and then you're, you're in trouble. Once tension sets in, you got no chance. Yeah, it's great, great stuff as always. And uh, I, I love the strikeout thing too. Uh, we, we need to bring back a little bit about the, uh, the embarrassment, especially in the major leagues, not talking about youth league here, but for, for the major leagues, the uh, embarrassment of the strikeouts, it's, 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 uh, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, Billy Bean, who played for me, and I guess, uh, you know, he's one that read structured this game a lot of ways and very smart guy, but somebody said, I, mean, I think he said a strikeout's just an out. Well, strikeouts is just an out. It doesn't give you a chance. I mean, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series, you know, several years ago because they didn't strike out. They put the ball in play. Yep. And teams are getting back to that now with this, you know, with the infield playing, you know, playing where they're supposed to be playing. I mean, the launch angle is the worst thing that ever happened to any hitters ever, any, anywhere, their launch angle. I mean, you don't swing up at a baseball, especially when you start your launch angle behind your back. I mean, that was the worst thing that ever happened. A lot of guys are getting away from that launch angle. I mean, stay on top of the ball, get backspin on the ball. You're quicker to the ball, and the ball travels farther and get backspin. If nothing else, you make contact. When you try to lift an outside, I mean, maybe Aaron Judge can swing that way because he's so big and strong, but not many guys can swing that way. you got little guys that can't hit the ball 150 feet trying to hit home runs. I mean, no. Hit the ball through the infield. Stay on top of the ball and drive it. Get backspin on the ball. I remember Don Manley, who played for me in the minor leagues. He didn't hit many home runs. He gets to the big leagues, and uh, Lou Pinella taught him how to get backspin, how to stay on top of the ball. He used the backspin balls, and he started hitting a lot of home runs. One of the best hitters in the history of baseball for me. But he learned how to stay on top of the ball rather than, you know, just maybe hitting balls left center field. And he did use whole field, but instead of just being a left-handed hitter, they hit the ball all the way. He, he started pulling inside pitches and so forth. So. Yeah, and that, and uh, that makes you think of one final question. Uh, creating that backspin, how, how, how do you do that? Well, you got you know, to me, your, your front arm is your most important part of hitting. And you got to like stay stay down into the ball and then you finish high. If you watch Hank Aaron when he hit that home run that uh, broke the record, he, he tomahawked the ball. He stayed on top of the ball. And if you hit down into the ball, you can get backspin on it. I mean, I don't. I mean, I was not smart enough or good enough eyes to see where I just hopefully I hit the ball. <laughs> I didn't know where I'm going to hit. I just hope I can hit it. But some guys know they want to hit the you know the bottom of the ball, so to speak. But they can go. I mean, you know, you hit a ball and the ball spins backwards and it carries. But, uh, but getting backspin on the ball is, is important. I mean, not everybody can do it, but Jose Batista was one of the best who could do that. I mean, he hit a ball and all of a sudden just took off, kept going, because he got backspin on it. And some guys do it still, and some guys can, you know, muscle ball out of the ballpark. But if you get backspin, it just I always tell guys, you got two strikes, just try to hit a ground ball through the infield. That keeps you on top of the ball, and it gives you a chance to make contact. But even like with a man on third base, I always say the same thing. Try to hit a ball through the infield. Because a lot of times you hit a fly ball or a line drive, try and hit the ball through the infield because you stayed on top of it. So a lot more to it than people think. I mean, I got my own theories, but uh, all I can tell you is that launch angle is the worst thing that anybody ever thought of for young kids. Totally agree. Totally agree. We'll second and third that one for you right here. Thanks. uh, No, Bob Schaefer, special assistant to the GM of the Washington Nationals, Hall of Fame sports writer Kevin Kernan. Thank you guys for a great show today. Uh, to our 18,100 subscribers in 72 countries, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. Thanks for your support. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Rate and review allows us to battle the podcast world analytics like we do in baseball. Make sure you get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for the show. We'll be interactive there. I answer one live question a day on Facebook. Please continue to follow Kevin on his social mediums and read him on Ball 9. Great guys over there, and Kevin highlights that that audience with two great articles every week. All we're trying to do here is build a better baseball IQ. And as we, we remind you, and this show is perfect for prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths as you listen to our shows, because we have no time for those, un- those comfortable lies. And that's episode 188. Bob and Kevin, thanks so much for your time today. Did a great job. Thank you. You guys are great. It's good talking baseball with somebody. <laughs>